on the teaching. Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the way that you show your mercy and your kindness. And uh, Lord, we need Psalm 32 and what it takes to get uh, that clean heart. Would you please bless and, and walk with us through the truth? You speak truth to us. Your truth sets free. And your spirit, your, your words are life. And we need that. Please bless in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, so a couple reminders on some things that are coming up um, on your screen. We have, um, one is going to be the uh, Super Bowl this Sunday. And it's epic because Tom Brady's still in it at his age at 43, going up against the young gun, you know, with Kansas City Chiefs. And so... Um, should be a good game. If you want to be a part of that, it's going to be at Michael Angelo Brzezinski's at 7 Canadian Cove, and you can be a part of that if you want. Bring bring something enjoyable, drink and eat, and that'd be good. Also, um, on the Saturday the 13th, uh, we're going to do a community breakfast. It's going to be out front here, unless it's raining, and we're going to be serving under some canopies and uh, please invite some folks to be a part of that. It's, it's trying to create a good, safe atmosphere for a good breakfast. Terry's going to be cooking in that. I think Joe's going to help and some other folk. So yeah. Okay, so it's going to be exceptional food, 8 to 10, and it's a drop-in. It's eat and talk and visit with people. And I'd love for you all to consider being a part of that and maybe invite a friend or something. So I'm thinking we might get some of the folks at Fuller and Sun to pop over and get some breakfast. So, okay, let's jump into Psalm 32. Very, very excited about it. So getting right into the text. How blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is the first section of, of the psalm. Let's work through some key ideas that we're going to be borrowing or referring to throughout the, the psalm. The idea of being blessed, as sure, literally means to be happy, to have abundance, your needs are met, you feel like you're blessed, you're provided for. It's not unlike the Greek word that would be the identical or cognate word which is what is recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the hungry. It's the same idea. How blessed is he or she, by implication, females as well, whose wrongdoing, now that's nasah. That's an interesting word used for sin, a wrongdoing, because not only does it mean transgression, but it's commonly used for open military rebellion. In other words, in other words, sin at its worst. Think of it that way. It's dangerous. We're not talking about a mild little, uh, the little white lie thing. We're talking about open military rebellion. So how blessed is the man or the woman whose open rebellion against God is forgiven? Pesha. Whose sin is 
Pesha and Chassad's critical, David Ford's writing on that. Um, uh, the idea of forgiveness, it, 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 the idea is it, it is removed, it is erased, but it's interesting that the word kasad, covering, is used. It's very important. Sin is covered. Does that remind you of anything? Genesis chapter 3 and how God covers Adam and Eve with coats of skin. And Genesis 7, uh, there's a reference to the waters from the flood, kasa the earth, cover the earth. So it can refer to total covering. Uh, there's a reference in Exodus 8, 6 that talks about Aaron giving, following God's bidding, uh, raises his hand and God releases the plague of, of, the plague of frogs that cover kasa. Egypt, all right? Proverbs 10, 12. When we seek to cover the sin of someone, we show love. Love covers a multitude of sin. Proverbs 28, 13, it's interesting. It says, the person who covers their sin before God will not prosper. The person who hides their sin before God will not prosper. All right, so we have a key idea in that there's covering in the idea of a, a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, and God covering our sins. How blessed is the person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account in whose spirit there's no deceit. This is a very important idea to the Hebrew way of thinking, and that is... It's, it's a little different than our way of thinking. We believe that if we keep our mouth closed and we don't talk about it, somehow God doesn't... Uh, uh, the ancient Hebrew people would believe that if you don't talk about it and you keep it to yourself that you're hiding something. Okay. Now in Psalm 39, we get a, an insight that uh, the psalmist believes that God even knows your thoughts from afar. But for the most part, the Old Testament doesn't present God so much as a mind reader. Okay? In the New Testament, it's very pronounced that God does. There is nothing hidden from his... I'm not saying the idea is not in the Old Testament, it is. I'm just telling you it's more pronounced in the New Testament. And yet with, with us, as a scientifically minded people, we are, we are clearly settled that nothing is hidden from God. And the Hebrew prophets also talked about, what do you think, that God can't see? But to the Hebrew way of thinking, if you don't talk about it, you don't bring it up, it's somehow hidden. The Hebrew mind is very concrete and very practical. So how blessed is the person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account, um, to make a record of, to, to consider, to add to the books, to account for it. Okay, it's very clear, very practical. In his spirit, there's no attempt at covering up something. Not at all. Romans 15, or 5, 15 to 17, talks about how, how God literally can replace the first Adam's sin problem in me and switch it out for the second Adam 
And the righteousness of Jesus Christ is now inside of me because God switches something. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so there's, there's the idea of imputing or accounting of evil uh, is it's not going to be credited to my account. God is literally taking out the wickedness and he's putting in the righteousness of Christ, which is a beautiful, beautiful idea. So let's look at this. This is the next block, three and four. Uh, this is referring to the cost of the unrepentant heart. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality failed as with the dry heat of summer. If you've ever uh, studied things about psychotherapy, about counseling, one of the things that you pay attention to are called psychomotor gestures. A psychomotor gesture is when a, when a human is in distress, they do something with their body to indicate as much. For example, uh, this is not uncommon. To cross, cross your arms, maybe spread your legs a little bit, and then furrow your brow, and uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And my, my psychomotor gestures are saying, I am so angry, I'm ready to walk out. You say one more thing and I'm gone. Or you want to start an argument of some sort of thing. Um, I have clients that uh, become, they, use, they do what are called metronomic gestures, and they tap. Um, you can't see my, but they'll do this with their foot. That one's really common. And it's not a little, you know, it's metronomic. It's like, literally like a machine is going off, you know. And at that point, they're usually very upset, they're angry at me, they're angry at, at the trauma they've experienced, and we've approached a subject that's extremely sensitive, and they literally express it with their bodies, okay? That includes crying, tears, it includes a smile, and, and, and laughter, all kinds of things are psychomotor gestures when you're, when you're doing therapy. I want you to understand that whatever it is that David is battling here, we don't know exactly what it is. He was experiencing spiritual and psychological negative impact because he, Kassa, was covering his sin by keeping quiet about it. He wouldn't talk to God about what had happened, whatever it was. He kept silent. Now you and I know that God knew, but again, that Hebrew mind is very concrete, very simple, very practical. That when he kept silent about his sin, his body wasted away through groaning all day long. He was getting sick because of the grief the guilt, the shame, the, uh, the, the sense of a loss of honor because of his behaviors, that he literally expressed it in his body and he became ill. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my, valid, my vitality failed as the dry heat of summer, as one translation says, as the fever heat of summer. Like he's got a fever, a guilt fever, 
is what he's expressing. Okay. Now, I, I want you to consider something here. Um, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. There's a couple of ways to take that. If we take it negatively, it's like the, the parent who grabs the left arm of the child right below the deltoid and the kid's not going anywhere. And with his right hand, that angry father is waylaying the fool out of the bottom, the backside of that child. We can take it this way. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. God, you're giving me a whooping day and night, and it hurts. But what if there's another way to take that? What if it's not negative? What if the good shepherd is trying to lead the sheep back to where the sheep needs to be and that the father's hand is on David trying to force him to face what's going on so that he could be restored. So it's really important to understand God's heart. God is not inclined to be cruel, mischievous, abusive toward his children. God will do what it takes to turn one of his own back toward him. I don't see abuse. I don't see this as the fist punching David out. I see this as the tender hand of the father pulling him back. The heart of the prodigal son's dad. There was nothing about the, the dad saying, okay, boy, I, I heard your words. You're not coming back on the farm until you take your whooping. I told you if you left, you're going to get your whooping. And once the whooping's done, then I'll take you back. There's nothing to indicate that that is the heart of God. Okay, so it's beautiful language. And there, there are psychomotor gestures here. David's body is reflecting his spiritual condition. His spiritual condition is sick, morally, moral illness, and his body is expressing physical illness as well. Look at verse 5. This is what repentance looks like. It's really beautiful. I acknowledge, yadeh, I acknowledged my sin to you and my and I did not, there's that word again, kasa, I did not hide my guilt. I said, I will yada, a variation of the word to confess, to talk about. Yada means to know. To know it and to make it known is what yada means. So I know I did it and I'm going to make it known to God my sin to you and I did not hide, I did not cover, same word, my guilt. I said I will make known, I will confess yada, my wrongdoings to the Lord and you forgave Messiah, you erased, you removed the guilt of my sin. And then we have that little scribal entry in the margin of the Hebrew text, Salah, which could mean stop and think about what's been said. <laughs> Soak this up. Really meditate on this because what's been said is critically important. Okay? This is language to give us hope. This is not language where God is trying to shame us and, and humiliate us until we finally admit something. Let me read 1 John 1, 8-10. If we say that we have no sin, 
We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there's a critical idea. Something that blocks repentance is deceit. The inability to take ownership for your behaviors, your beliefs, your words, what you've done, and the fact that it is sin and transgression and wrongdoing before, the, before God, a holy God. Okay? So it's interesting that rep repentance isn't, isn't so much about the drama of giving out some horrible detail to the type of sin you committed. That's what Americans would get their you know, kicks out of, juicy details of some sin problem. The real issue here is that we're not being deceitful about it. We're not trying to cover or hide. That's the whole point. So repentance is not covering and not hiding and openly saying, God, this is what's going on. In fact, I said I'm going to confess. Yada can also, can also mean I'm going to get my words and cast it out. It's like I'm going to get it out there. Like i got to get this off my chest. You can take it that way. And the Lord forgave the guilt of my sin. Beautiful language intended to give us hope. Now, it's interesting. Notice what it doesn't say. I acknowledged my sin to the church. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say I acknowledged my sin to Facebook. <laughs> I acknowledged my sin to TikTok and Instagram. Or I, I was forced to do full-scale confession at the next family reunion. It doesn't say that. I've got to confess my sin to the youth group or something like that. I confess my sin to you, Lord. Yehovah is the word for Lord. My wrongdoings to the Lord, Yehovah. I think David realized that his moral, uh, his moral condition ultimately came down to his relationship with God, ultimately. And he would go straight to the heart of that. And we'll get to that in Psalm 51 and how uh, David deals with confession over his sin with Bathsheba and uh, Uriah. And that's a fascinating study. And I hope that maybe we'll see things never seen before there. Okay. Six and seven. And so this guy has gone from a state of guilt and he literally is, as he is spiritually ill, so he is physically ill. And he repents. He doesn't cover kasach, his sin. He covers it and he gets it yada. He gets it out there. And now he feels so clean. He says, blessed is the person. I'm blessed because God's not going to count this against me. And he's so happy. He goes, you know what? Perfect time for a national call to repentance. I want everybody to do what I did. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Certainly, in a flood of great waters, 
they will not reach him. What he's saying by that is, when I'm repenting, nothing can stop me. Even a flood of great waters. How's that for a play on words? What does water do? It covers. Even when there's a flood, God, you're going to let me come run into you. The prodigal son can go home. The prodigal daughter can go home, even if there's a flood. You are my hiding place. You keep me from trouble. You surround me with songs of palas, of deliverance. It can be translated in escape. You give me the escape route. Okay. That's what grace looks like. That's what forgiveness looks like. It's an escape route. It's a way of being delivered from the horrific judgment of a holy God against wicked sin. God is holy, and there's no compromising or soft-selling or cheapening the holiness of God. But also God is love. And so God made the way of escape the point of deliverance, not because he went soft with his holiness, but rather because the full brunt of his wrath fell on his son. And he became the sacrificial lamb that covers my sin, your sin. And only through that could God maintain full holiness and yet also grace and love at the same time. That was the only way. And only the genius of God could accomplish something like that. 8, 9, 10, and 11 are this block of counseling. It's interesting. It's kind of, it's kind of a counseling thing. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye, I am, upon you. Zechariah 2.8 says, speaking of Israel, that God is ready to protect Israel. And if anybody touches you, it's as though they are touching the apple of my eye, my ayin, my pupil. And you, you and I know medically that the reflex to blink and protect the eye is almost instantaneous. Andrew, you know this, the importance of protecting the eye. And God is saying, Israel, if you give me your heart, I, am, I will instantaneously protect you. You will be like the apple of my eye, the pupil of my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. The sorrows of the wicked are many, but the one who trusts in the Lord goodness will surround him. Please, please appreciate what he just said. Let me translate this, Translate the theological idea. The sorrows of those who refuse to repent are many. Those who repent demonstrate they trust God and goodness will surround that person. Okay. So let's deal with a little bit of, uh, for a moment you know, this concept of shame. So so there are occasions in which we think that if we take our sin to the Lord and we get really honest with what's going on inside of us, we can't trust him with the response. And so we keep it to ourselves and we kasat, we cover it up. We hide it, we act like it doesn't happen, we ignore it, uh, we repress it, suppress it, etc. Act like it didn't happen. Because sometimes we're afraid 
if we trust it, we're afraid to trust God. The brilliance of this idea is so important. To believe that you can take the very worst of your moral self to God. And in repentance, you find escape and deliverance and you'll be surrounded with goodness. That's incredible. That's incredible. And he closes out the song by saying, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So based on your understanding of the text, what does it take to be a righteous one? To be honest about your sin. <laughs> And God will replace your wickedness with the righteousness of Jesus. What does it take to be upright in heart? To not be deceitful in heart and try to cover and hide and ignore the issue. So in First John 1, 9, and Andrew, I know you've, you've read the Greek text on this. If we confess, if we say the same thing, homo, same, hama, same, Lagoman, Lagos words. If we say the same thing about our sin that God says about it, that's considered confession. If we do one of those big nasty lies and then during our repentance we go, God, I kind of, I bent the truth a little bit, you know, okay, I left some things out. Uh, we're not repenting. In other words, if you committed one of those nasty bull-faced lies in your prayer, you say, God, I committed a nasty, bald-faced lie, and I'm getting honest with you about it. Call it for what it is. Don't be deceitful. Don't maximize it. Don't minimize it. Confess. Say the same things about it that God says. And when that happens, God is delighted to forgive and restore his children. You are the gifted body of Christ. Uh, those online, if you want to comment, we'll, uh, we welcome that. And then uh, those here, what are your thoughts on the theological significance on how this transforms our lives when we begin to live out the truth of Psalm 32 and live out the grace of God? sin and I am no longer worthy and it would stop a lot of people from going to God and they forget that God already knows yes, yes. so it's not a secret to him mm -hmm. yeah exactly a lot of bullheaded people that think that 
they're not going to be forgiven. So what's this sense of going through all the rigmarole and uh, he's not going to forgive me anyway? There's a lot of ways of talking yourself out of going to God. Yeah, yeah, that's good, Terry. I think, do you think Satan specializes in creating within us the idea that our shame is so pronounced there's no way we can go to God? There's no way the prodigal son could go home. I think so. Especially in the macho male. Yeah, the the male ego, sure, sure. I think it's interesting that that sometimes we we take our sin so lightly, we so minimize our sin that we think it's it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Or we do the other extreme that our sin is so awful, so egregious, so immoral, so wicked, so something that there's no way we can deal with it. So we just we're just too ashamed. So we we turn our head away. You know, we won't we won't look God in the eye. Kind of we refuse to do that because we're ashamed. So, Rick? yes, sir, David. I I had also my another idea that come to mind is one thing that Satan specialized in was the very first thing he did was pride. Yeah. And he wants he wants us to be so proud that we don't we don't need to come to God for it. Mm-hmm. We can we can actually we can cover it up. No one will know. We don't, we don't need anybody else to do this. We can do it ourselves. Yeah. 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 We can do our own That's why it comes to realize says, don't be like the horse or mule. You, you know, you can be so prideful. You can be so stubborn as to not do it. Even yeah. done, you know, I've seen, we've seen people even go to their death with it like that. Mm-hmm. And, and look at the bitterness that they have. Yeah. To be that way. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. God wants us to not be Yes. I believe that's what's important. In my eyes, that's how I see this as well. Yes, we can't be our own Savior, David. That is so good. Someone else, what are your thoughts? Hey, it's Carrie. Yeah. Uh, That's good. Yes. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. Chris, something talking about, you know, I've been thinking a lot about lately. It's trying to see things for what they are, not overplaying or underselling it. Mm. I think that's so dangerous. You know, and I think, kind of remind me of this verse, and I know in both places we're talking about tonight, they're kind of maybe what they're talking about with the seat, maybe it's Proverbs 38, it says, you know, he's saying in 30, verse 8 and 7, he says, you know, two things I ask of you, God. You know? um, and one of them said, keep falsehood and lies far from me. 
I always like that verse, but I, I think, uh, you know, the seed's the seed, and we can really start to believe a lot of lies about how things are, like you said, about how we can approach God, about what all we can do, about what everything means. We can really get in our own head about all of it, and it's like, I pray that I'm like, God, let me see stuff for how it is, because I can call evil good and good evil all day long. Not Isaiah 5.20. There really is no deceit in us when we can approach God in a genuine way. Like he's getting raw and healthy. I think in a healthy way, he's getting raw and real and going there. You know, that's an awesome place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing to have a clear conscience yeah. and to have that gift restored to us. Have the clarity of what's happening. Clarity, absolutely, yeah. And I think, um, Lee, you're speaking wisely because when we have a genuine sense of being clean before God, the dirty get clean, then it changes how we relate to people, right? But if we're artificial in our repentance and there's still kind of a hatred and like an open military rebellion against our God, but we're covering it up with religious platitude, you know, and we've got a problem, we can be really hard on other people in terms of being unforgiving. So remember the story. There was a king that called all his servants in to give an account, and he called in this one servant and said, you owe me 10,000 talents. And the servant said, uh, have mercy on me, forgive me, have mercy. Be patient, and I'll pay off the debt. And then the king has compassion, forgives him. He goes outside, he finds a friend that owes him a few shekels, a denarii, actually, a denarii like 50 denarii, about 50 days of work. And he grabs him and he chokes him and he says, you pay me what you owe me. And the friend, his friend, says the same script. Forgive me, have mercy on me, be patient, and I'll pay everything back. And the the man says, nope, you're going into debtor's prison to work it off. And I'll get paid through them. A word gets back to the king what he did. And the language that is used is so profound that the man that was forgiven 10,000 talents of silver was slaughtered in front of the king. The judgment was so severe because of what what he had done. That is a harsh lesson about the importance of forgiveness and this idea that it's almost as though this is the singular quality of a true Christian that you can forgive and show mercy to your enemies. And if you can do that, you follow Jesus. That's it. That's what Christianity gets down to. And that's that separates a lot of us. You know, we think being Christian is having a good quiet time. Caleb, top 40. No. No, not according to Jesus like our father will do what he does yes he shows mercy we show mercy yeah yeah and it is written as you have received freely freely give yeah powerful Andrew so David's a man of the old covenant he's under the law and he has this experience of God's character he knows this is just how God is. This is just who he is. That he forgives. 
and it's really wonderful when you forget it, and it's all, and it's all there. And the phrase that was coming to, when you asked about the theology of it, I thought, well, is that different? Is that different from our theology now? And the, the, the phrase that came to my mind was from Romans, how much more? So David can say all of this, and it's true, because it's, it's rooted in God's character and, who, and how God's revealed himself to David and what he's experienced, and yet how much more for us, because we know the exact provision for all of that. That it's Jesus that really is paid for. Yes. Yes, that's so good, Andrea. And so because of that, we're instructed to run to the cross, or, or, or to run to the throne, boldly enter the throne room, to, to find grace and mercy in her time of need, to not shrink away in shame. So beautiful language, absolutely beautiful. So, okay. Okay. So. May I ask a question, sir? Yes, sir. A recovering Catholic yourself. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming that you went to confession numerous times. Very few. I was so young, but I did go, yes. And I remember it vividly. Did it make an impression upon you to go and sin no more? Not at all. Not at all. I had a lot of Catholic friends in high school and uh, they went to confession on a regular basis <laughs> and I saw no change in their attitude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the behavior. Right, exactly, exactly. So, Philip? Well, I think you're getting at like a key part in the process of forgiveness, which is repentance as well. Um, my first thought was that I think when you come to know Jesus, and one of the first good things you have, have as a Christian is to receive and give forgiveness mm -hmm. because you understand the concept of grace and the cross. Uh, I think the, I'll admit in my pride, I probably don't practice forgiveness as much as I should or just ask for it as much as I should. Um, but at the same time, you can see evidence in your life that you have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit is working in you if you have a repentant mind and a changed heart on an issue because that's not your pull your own willpower that's doing that alone. It is God working through you and doing that and instilling and enculturating and culture, sorry, indwelling in you to make a change to change your culture in your life. Yeah, that's so good, Philip. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So in Jesus, we don't have to clean up first before taking the bath. We can just jump in uh, and experience grace and forgiveness. Uh, when we repent, we can do that. So let me read from Matthew's Gospel, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Now, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said... Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So let me pray and we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Um, Abba, Father, thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for the way that you show grace and kindness. Thank you that your hand is heavy upon us, not because you're cruel, but because you're turning us back to you. Thank you that faith, hope, and love remain, and we can build our lives on these things. We take the bread, we take the cup to remember that the wrath of God was poured out on his Son, and that in his Son we have life. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.